Welcome. Welcome. The show you're about to listen to is part of the Hopped Up Network's growing family of craft beer podcasts in the U.S. and Canada. Find this show and others like it at hoppedupnetwork.com, the spot for informative and entertaining craft beer podcasts. I got this. Okay. Ah, uh, I got it. Okay. Uh, I got some beers. Let's drink them, huh? Uh, and film at 11, why don't you follow me down to the brewery? I'll tie a bowling ball to my ankle, dive in the vat of beer. I'll leave this world the same way I entered my marriage. Dead drunk! Hello? Want a beer? Hook it up! Hook it up! Hook me up! Y'all heard, take it from the top. One, two. Beer? This is how we do it. My mic sound nice, check one. My mic sound nice, check two. My mic Sound nice, check three. Are you ready? That's cute. I remember when I had my first beer. You like parties? Yeah. We can invite all our friends and have soda and pie. Yeah. I hope no bad my mic sounds nice, check one. My mic sounds nice, check two. My mic sounds nice, check three. My mic sounds nice, check four. My mic sounds nice, check five. My mic sounds nice, check six. Are you ready? You want some of this milk? Rather have a beer. What do you guys give me if I kill that bird? Farber, that's a bald eagle. Get a wig, baldy! Yeah! Oh, well, good evening, good evening, and good evening. This is The Works with Mike, Pete, and Steve, GovsRadio.com. Check us out. Go to our website, GovsRadio.com. Also, we are streaming live tonight on Facebook and on YouTube. Go to Facebook or you type in Gubs Comedy Club Radio and boom, there we are streaming live with our guests tonight, Jamie and Rachel from St. James Brewery in St. James. Cheers. Let's kick it off with some uh, really nice sponsors. Tonight we are sponsored by Brew Bag, Brew Bag, Cornhole, Beer Pong. What's better than a backyard game with a little bit of Brew Bag? Hashtag Lawn Games. Go to BrewBag.com. Uh, or follow our link in our Instagram bio because there you will receive a percentage off your first order. So go to our Instagram page, click the link, and go to brewbag.com for your brewbag cornhole beer pong combination yard game today. We are also sponsored by vintagebeerclubshirt.com. Vintagebeerclubshirt.com. Say it right this time without hesitation because I'm confident, confidence. VintageBeerShirtClub.com. Check them out for your vintage beer shirt needs. Uh, of course, in the promo code, type in WARTWORT for a percentage off your first order. And thereafter, you will enjoy all the vintage beer shirts your heart may desire. Go to VintageBeerClubShirt.com. My man is handing out shirts all damn day long. So thank you very much to him. Uh, Steve, take it away as you're sipping your beers. Rosie's Draft Solutions. Rosie's Draft Solutions uh, provides professional draft beer system services, line cleanings, 
and more for your establishments or any customers. You can enjoy the best quality beverages by their cleaning services. They take care of bars, restaurants, halls, events, homes, all other beverage establishments across Long Island and Westchester. Find them at rosiesdraftsolution.com. And when you call Nick, tell him the work with Mike, Pete, and Steve sent you. You're going to get a percentage off any order, any cleaning, any hardware, anything you need. Just let them know the word had sent you there. Finally, we are sponsored by Tavor. Tavor, for beer, right to your door. Go to Tavor.com and the promo code type in Ward and get percentage off the first order. Beer shipped from all over the country directly to your door. Go to Tavor.com for more. It's a lot of ores, if I realize. Tavor, order, door, got it. Uh, a couple other uh, little runners up and uh, honorable mentions. Of course, uh, TapHandles.com. Go to TapHandles.com for your small brewery needs go to tap handles to get your large capacity needs tap handles creating all these crazy tap handles not this one though this one was made by rosie's draft solutions thanks buddy also go to hartwell woodshop directly in the heart of patchug hartwell woodshop check it out online go to hartwellwoodshop.com and pete you want to give a shout out to our last sponsor for this evening that i stopped by by the way guys and i, I don't know if you got a net uh, but I gave you guys something as a parting gift for being a guest on the show tonight. Pete, do you know who it is? Brewers Hardware. Boom! Give us the big plug. Boom! BrewersHardware.com for all your homebrew, uh, small production brewery needs. You need that quick part. Uh, try clamp for president. Try clamp for president. president. Absolutely. Hoses, gaskets, uh, I imagine brew kettles, homebrew supplies, all that good stuff. I don't think they ship propane. Uh, no. All of your uh, other brewery hardware needs. <laughs> a little bit. Brewershardware.com. Check them out. Brewershardware.com. Thanks a lot for uh, supplying us with gift certificates. We hand them out to our guests. And our guests tonight, Rachel and Jamie from St. James Brewery, uh, were recipients of tonight's, uh, what was it? Let's I would call say it a prize pack. Prize pack. I like prize it. Prize pack. I was, I was thinking of a good way Thank to say you. it the other day. Uh, it was also... We have other stuff too. I just didn't have it with me that day. So we'll send you some other stuff. Um, but I couldn't think of it as like parting gifts. It's not really parting gifts. Couldn't think of a good name for it. Yeah. On the radio, they usually call it something like. Watch, watch some game show networks for a little while. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure it'll come to you. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I should know I did radio, but I never did like giveaways like that. So, uh, or guest giveaways. So on the major stations, you know, when they have it on, Ariana Grande is going to be in studio at Z100. She gets something for being there. Not just, uh. The promotion, she'll get like a Corvette or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> they, they just hand stuff out to people. It's crazy. How does Guys, uh, yet to be handed out keys no. to Corvettes? <laughs> well, unless we get sponsored by Glen Cove Corvette, <laughs> which would be awesome. And all three of us would be driving around yellow Corvettes. Well, I, uh, Rachel, Jamie, thanks a lot for being on the show tonight. Really appreciate it. Uh, we were trying to get guests over these last few months in quarantine that weren't local. But when uh, we kept going back and forth and back and forth, we like, we got to have them on. I mean, you guys are dead on busy considering that both uh, Steve and myself were up at the brewery in the last few days and it was busy and you're brewing and you're creating uh, crazy stuff. I, we had to have you on and, and it worked out perfectly because there's a lot of big stuff coming out in the next uh, let's say few days and even few weeks. So we really wanted to have you on to get that out there to everybody and let them know what's going on. So again, thank you very much for coming on the show. Yes, yes. And uh, let's let's start off very easy. Let's uh, get the the background, the history of the St. James Brewery, uh, how it came oh. to be, and how it got started. Uh -oh. I knew I forgot to say something. Uh oh, yeah. steak yeah. sauce. Oh, there you go. 
Sexist. I don't think Pete was on that message. No, I don't think he got it. You got, I don't, he doesn't get tagged. That's the problem. So you didn't get to see your post. Uh, I'll screenshot and send it to you, Pete, so you can understand the the joke. Let's see how this works. Um, Yeah, so give us a little background, guys, and and tell us uh, how this all got going. Well, first of all, thank you very much for having us on. We we appreciate it. We're uh, very psyched to be here. Um, St. James Brewery. Uh, is about now 10 years old. We were looking back a little while ago and, and we started in 2011 when we got our first uh, licenses. Uh, and it all came about uh, basically through uh, the home brewer, like everybody else that, that's local, we we're home brewers and uh, one thing led to another and then things just started to get bigger and bigger and before we knew it, uh, you know, we were, we were a self-operating, um, ongoing, you know, uh, brewery. Kind of, kind of took us a little bit by surprise, but um, we really have been focused on Long Island and uh, local farmers uh, since the get-go, since pretty much our onset, and that's something that we try and stick to even to today. Uh, so, did it start where you guys are currently located, or was it something that you had a uh, another spot and moving from there? Give us a little background of kind of where you guys ended up and how you got there. Sure. We started in Long Island City, Queens, uh, back in 2011, and we had a small space there. And uh, we were in the process of moving out to Long Island because a lot of the, the farmers that we had worked with and, and continue to work with were out here. Um, so we slowly migrated out to Long Island. But initially, it was Long Island City, Queens, and we moved uh, to Holbrook in uh 2013 i yeah. think uh, 2013 in fact that's we, a big move from uh ge- just geographically you usually don't see breweries move you know more than a couple towns over you know skipped over a couple counties there <laughs> family this way so we we had kids we had a couple kids and we had a you know we were in an yeah, apartment a lot of and, practical reasons yeah uh, as well we actually we um our first connection in into long island breweries was to know Steve mm-hmm. through yeah. um, our visits to the Ginger Man, which and, is where we were ah. And Becerra. And Becerra. Yeah. Um, and, and we would visit there and she would say, hey, there's another guy, you know, that's out there that's doing great stuff. And you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, gotta hook up with this guy. guy. You gotta meet this guy. He's crazy. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> And so that was back in about 2013, right, Steve, or so, 2012? Uh, I would say right in 12, 13, in that range, uh, you would come visit to uh, my little little office and with nothing else in the whole place because we were trying to get it going, and we'd sit down and just talk about – and he always asked me, so, what? you know, is there anything that you can tell me right now that might help me? And I'm like, yes. Don't do it. <laughs> do yourself a favor. You yeah. were so helpful, Steve. You were always so helpful. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, I tried. That's true. Very, very much so. <laughs> very much so. Um, for, for me, it's a labor of love. What I really tell people, the, over, the overlying philosophy here is I could never sing or dance or draw or act. My artistic talents um, really did not extend very far, yet I always had this I always wanted to be some sort of, art, I always wanted to be artistic in some way. 
And, you seem uh, like you could have been a ba- good ballerina. I mean, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, I, 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 I could have been a ballerina. I just didn't have the right clothes. Um, <laughs> for that. Shoes wouldn't fit. I got it. Uh, yeah. That's how I got into it. I would make beer, and, and it was almost an artistic endeavor for me. And that's, that's really the only reason I actually stayed with it, from being a home brewer to, to the development of the, of the brewery. I came from a business background, so, so that was really where my, uh, my, my background was, was in the business side of, of uh, whatever it was that, you know, that I was doing, whether it was construction or, or where I started um, uh, working on the New York Stock Exchange when I was 18 years old. Um, I was always a brewer, you know, living on the Upper East Side. I had one of those rent-controlled apartments, and then it was 96 degrees in the wintertime. <laughs> uh, you know, summertime, still, the heat was still going off. And uh, we'd, we'd make beer, and, and they always wound up being these crazy-style beers. And the reason I started making Belgian-style beers really was because where I lived, I needed uh, a high-tolerance, high-alcohol yeast that could literally withstand uh, the homebrewing environment that I was brewing in. So that's how I kind of got into the wild yeast, and, and or the, not the wild yeast, but the kind of funkier yeast and things like that that we use was really out of necessity from all those years ago. So when you guys were in LIC, um, did you have a tasting room or was it just a production brewery? What was the, the setup there? Yeah, just a tiny little production brewery, and we would sell our beers to the, the local bars like the Ginger Man Pub and uh, a few others. But that, that was really it. All of our connections were through um, uh, New York City bars and restaurants and, uh, and different events that we would do out uh, there. So when we moved to Long Island, uh, that really continued. That was our biggest market. Even when we first started out here was New York City, uh, we really focused on that because that's where we started and that's where we had our connections. Um, so it took us a little longer to actually break into the Long Island market uh, than, than it did because we had already been somewhat, you know, a little bit established in, in the city. So it was, uh, it was a nice transition to be able to be closer to our farmers, closer to our suppliers, yet at the same time have access to our markets. Was it harder when you came out here to Long Island to uh, break the conceptions of a Belgian style beer to get people out of wherever their trend was at the time in 2011 or 12 or whatever. Um, was that a tough I, sell at first? I don't, I don't, it's a hard question to answer because I don't really look at it that way. Mm-hmm. It was just something that I like to do and I like to drink and I wanted to share with people. And I was also very understanding that, there is um, almost, in a sense, for me anyway, there's a progression that, that beer drinkers go through when they start, you know, younger and, and lighter stuff, um, more um, uh, commercial. And, and by the time they get to things that are Belgian and a little bit, so they've got a little bit of, uh, a little bit under their belts, so to speak, you know. Right. So that was really my market from the from the beginning. And, we, and now uh, the, the beer Rochelle Blanche, that was the very first beer that we made. And that was kind of my homage to what Allagash was doing at the time. Uh, I went to college up in Maine when Allagash first started. You know, I think probably one of the first people to drink an Allagash White in a bar up there uh, when we were in college. Great and, Lost Bear. Yeah, the Great Lost Bear in Portland, Maine. And Love that, that place. Yeah. Where'd you go to school in Maine? I went, we went, both of us went to a place called Colby College. It's in Waterville, Maine. It's a small Colby. arts I have a buddy that lives up there. Um, at Bar Harbor, yeah, yeah, close yeah. to Bar Harbor, yeah, yeah. yeah that's but we're pretty far north. That was yeah, okay, north. further than that. 
And nah, he would probably know family it. Family up there, so we've gone back every year. You know, at least a few times a year. Though. Beautiful up there. I mean, now the the main beer scene right now is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Ridiculous. So many great breweries and small town ones that you're just like, oh, this exists here. It's crazy. The best. And even dating, my, I'm not going to date myself, but well, <laughs> we were in college, you know, back in the 1990s. Um, <laughs> the beer scene was pretty big up there. It was pretty prevalent. And, yeah. you know, that all has to do with legislation and, and progressive state governments that allow different types of uh, uh, alcoholic beverages to be sold in certain manners. And, and uh, we didn't see that in New York State here until uh, Governor Cuomo here came into office here. And he started to uh, really uh, help local brewers in terms of uh, just allowing us to do things that, uh, that they were doing in Maine back in the 90s, in Massachusetts for that matter. You know, yeah. you've got good stories up there as well. I went to school in uh, Manchester, New Hampshire in 1997. Uh-huh. I'll date myself. Sure. Uh, yeah. So I was close to uh, friends in Maine. Uh, a couple of people were going to St. Michael's, I think. Is that in Maine? Yeah. Yep, St. Michael's. So I've been there a few times back in the... And you're right. Uh, the presence of things like Long Trail. Um, that was a big deal. Magic Hat kind of stepped into the scene very close there. So that whole, you know, north, north, northeast area really had that craft beer scene kind of figured out same thing in New Hampshire. The, the, it was weird. Cause you didn't see that same presence down here at all during that time. And that's um, exactly how I got into homebrewing was I, we came back. I came back. I was living in New York city when I graduated from college and I came back and I, we were drinking Allagash and we were drinking all these great breweries up there. And when you wanted a good beer in New York city, they'd hand you a book like the Killer Pub, they'd hand you a book full of imports, you know, and they're great beers, but nothing was local. Nothing yeah. was even really American. It was, uh, it was totally foreign. So I, I just happened to walk into uh, a place called Little Shop of Hops. It was on East 36th Street. It was a tiny little railroad place. And one door, you walk in, and on the left side was all this homebrew stuff. And on the right side was a courier service. Bicycles coming in and out, packages in and out all the time. Uh, so we, you know, I'd go in there and I'd just buy a couple of things and go up to my little apartment. And uh, yeah, that's so that's how it really all started to me, for me anyway, was the fact that I couldn't get what I had had in Maine. Yeah, New York City of all places. Yeah, I mean, you think it'd be like the central hub for trading and and shipping and stuff like that, but yet it wasn't acceptable because yeah. the big guys pretty much had a lock on the market. There was a couple of yes. group hubs, but it really yeah. was, uh, it was an uphill battle. Uh, and a lot of it, they were, they were fighting legislation. You know, not yeah. that, I don't, again, I don't want to harp on that, but that's really why there weren't a lot of, of, they just couldn't, you know, operate. And once that changed, you saw, see a lot more Heartland, uh, uh, things like that. But for the most part, that's really where we were at. And, and it always stuck with me. The Belgian style always stuck with me for those reasons. And, and that's really how it got started. Right. Um, we wanted to pay homage to those old world brewers that were doing it farmhouse style in a sense by hand it was and 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 that's from there that was the inspiration for the farm to table and once it started coming out here and meeting some serious farmers then it was like wow this this fits right into what we're trying to do here because we 
we already have the Belgian farmhouse style that we enjoy drinking. So what, in a sense, were Belgians doing there? You know, and you know, there's countless stories. Stan Hieronymus is a good storyteller where he'll say things about the Belgians where, you know, a Belgian brewer will basically use, basically use a <laughs> We're in our tasting room, the windows You have the, uh, the, the windows open? Yeah. yeah, there you go. St. James is wild tonight. Yeah. Crazy. Come to people St. Are, James. People are dying to get some of those nachos at Del Fuego. Yeah. yeah. That's what I had when I was there. It was so smart. I mean, God, you have a awesome, I mean, you weren't going to, in that, in the space you have, you weren't going to set up a, a kitchen. So at this point, what better than to have the ability to get any Mexican deliciousness next door. Yeah, we, got a lot, we have a lot of great restaurants around here. Yeah, we're in a nice little area for restaurants. Yeah. Pretty much whatever you want, Mexican, Italian, steakhouse. Eat Mosaic. Eat Mosaic. Our, our, <laughs> our, that's, our, that's our go-to spot. Nice. So when you came out to Holbrook, um, you were looking for, I, I guess, a production facility just like you had in LIC. I was looking for a production facility and uh, we were looking to tie in the name St. James to the, the, uh, our St. James. And the name St. James came from uh, the fact that we were paying homage, basically, to, again, to, to the uh, Belgian styles and the, the uh, monastic traditions of the monks that would make beers like Chimay and Rochefort and uh, all those things. So that's when we got into the St. James brewery and when we came to long island people said well you've got to go to st james you've got to be there we've got to be there and we did look for a while we looked for a production facility but it's it's again it's a infrastructure it's industrial you got to find the right spot that can handle water sewers utilities what you're doing as a brewery the north shore in suffolk county is a tough place to be as a brewer yeah it's um It, 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 it can be, uh, you, you got to deal with a lot of things that you don't have to deal with in, in other places. And we understand that we live on an island here. And, you know, I've heard more than once that when you put something on Long Island, when you put something down to the ground, it takes about eight years for it to either reach the sound or the bed. So sure. anything that you put in the ground is basically going to go one way or another. So, you know, the less that we do, uh, we, we, we totally get that. And uh, it's one of the things that we really work with at our own brewery is recycling a lot of the stuff that we have um, and managing our wastewater and things like that. Yeah, to, to bring home that point, uh, you know, Grummond in Bethpage, they've been tracking that, uh, I guess, waste disposal seeping through the soil for years i used to work at a bar in bethpage and the the actual water authority would come in and have a drink and they'd talk about it i'd, I'd have to ask my like so where are we at like uh, it will take another few years i think that was about two years ago it'd probably be another three or four years before it reaches the great south bay but wow. it will reach the great south bay it will travel you know as far uh towards gravity and then closest to the shore as possible and and then we got a real you know problem i mean we have a real problem now with a lot of the people in Bethpage uh suffering from you know large cases of cancer and all that uh nuclear waste or whatever it parts and airplanes and moon parts that they build lunar modules with it crazy materials that just dumped in the backyard you know maybe yeah. you're right we got to really think about um you know d- doing our part as we always say to try to just be a little more kind to our yeah. little sandy beach that we have here. Sure, I, we live on an island, you know. It's 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 they're not we, we can't expand any further out of our communal boundaries <laughs> other than, you know, until we hit the water and then that's that's pretty much it. 
So we've got to come up with other ways. And, uh, you know, we're, we're on board with that. Um, the, the thing about it was we also had to deal with um, legislation in terms of zoning. You know, where can you put something and where can you not put something? Uh, so I had a friend in Holbrook who said, hey, why don't you come down here and check out Holbrook because uh, we've got, it's, it's, it's you know, it's everything that you're going to need. And uh, it was. So that's how we first wound up in Holbrook. It was really just a zoning issue and close enough to our farmers, yet also being able to do what we wanted to do. In case in point, you're in, uh, you know, Brewery Row there with uh, yeah. Spider Bite, 1940s, yeah. Squareheads. Good people. Yeah, yes. good company. I mean, great, yeah, good. great community for bar hopping. It was, it was awesome. I think I did stop at Spider Bite the day I stopped at your place to get stuff to go up to. Uh, I, I wanted to tell the story, but I got the double and the triple, and I was going to upstate for my buddy's bachelor party in a cabin, and it's the only beer I bought. So I bought, I think, three of each for us to have as we're just hanging out. That was one night. We were there for 24 hours. So it was a great night. And uh, some of my buddies uh, that don't typically drink Belgians loved it. They loved the double. The triple might have been a little much, but at the end of the night, it didn't matter at that point. Yeah, yeah. Out of 9% or they're like, ah, whatever, let's go. But they loved the double. I loved the double. I had the double when I was there the other day. Thanks. It's one of my favorite uh, Belgian beers from anybody on Long Island. I don't think I've had a better one. So a very big favor for me. For that. Yeah. I appreciate that. And I was disappointed that it's not in bottle. <laughs> I couldn't find it because I was like craving it. I know it's coming. I know. They, so we naturally carbonate everything, and that's really half the battle. Right. The so time we make it our takes, beers, you know. and then when we when we carbonate them, it's a it's a question of uh, giving them enough time sometimes, and uh, using uh, different yeast strains and things like that. So sometimes it takes about two weeks. Sometimes it takes three weeks. Sometimes it takes four or five weeks. And we just keep an eye on it. You know, we keep them at, at a certain temperature. And uh, it's interesting now, though, because as we do grow and as we do expand, it's, it's, it's the, the half of the battle is keeping into those traditions or the, the methods and manners in which you make the product in the first place. Because uh, that's, that's why you were doing it. In the first, you know, that's why you were doing it initially. So to keep it going is, is really a, 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 a challenge uh, that I, I embrace. I enjoy doing it, but it's certainly like always, I'm always trying to uh, uh, fill in parts to a puzzle. Uh, yeah, you know, it just, it's easy to, for the home brewer, it's easy to carbonate five gallons of beer. You know, try carbonating 2,000 gallons. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I've... What's great about the the Holbrook facility is that when you walked into the storefront, you just saw straight tanks. I mean, it was just tanks. Yeah. So you got to see there was nothing to hide. Everything was just uh, there in plain sight. That's right. Yeah, we have nothing to hide. That's right. We have nothing to hide. Clearer than my home. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, and it was great because uh, even at the facility in Holbrook, after a while, we'd work with a lot of the local farmers, and then a couple of them would, in the off season, come in and start working at the brewery. You know, it, it was it, awesome. it became very familiar. Uh, familiar, you know, it was yeah. a nice, uh, nice scene. So we like to keep that going, and we have some seasonal help, but it's always from our farms and our and our farmers. Now, do you still keep the production facility in Holbrook? Yeah, yeah. So we make all of our own beer, and we do it all in Holbrook. Okay. So uh, we brew. About uh, we grew 16 barrels every two weeks. Comes right. out to about four, about 400 barrels a year. Uh, maybe a little bit more than that. The the, the 
it usually comes out to be more about 17 barrels or so, 16, 17 barrels in there. But uh, we're, yeah, we're on pace to do about 400 barrels. And, and with our next upgrade, um, we'll double that. You know, initially we'll double that. Bigger brew kettle? Yeah, right. Bigger brew kettle. Uh, bigger what are you working with now? You have a, you said 16 or is it? So what we do is I have a, I have an eight barrel system that we double batch. There you go. Um, 16 barrel fermenters. And then we move that into a uh, 30 barrel uh, bright tanks. Gotcha. And so, uh, I mean, obviously you'd made a big upgrade by having your storefront in uh, St. James. What was the positioning and reason for the move besides the, the name matches finally now, but what was the reason why Holbrook is in a tasting room anymore? Uh, we always wanted to be in St. James, but um, when we started in Holbrook, we opened up our tasting room, and shortly thereafter, we actually had stopped selling to the public. We had, I guess, a little bit of a string of bad luck, I would say. A lot of bad luck. Just a lot of bad luck. A lot of bad luck. But the, the thing of it was, we, the, we weren't allowed to sell to public because Suffolk County, again, we, it was a wastewater issue. People yeah. coming okay. and using the yeah. facilities and... Uh, ah, okay. It's bathrooms. It's, it's, yeah. it's numbers on paper rather than the reality of what's going on. And, that, you know, it's just things that we deal with every day. It's business. It's, right. It's, um, and they, they're tracking that wastewater? I mean, they, they're constantly looking uh, at what's being but, uh, used and what's going on, huh? And that's the problem. No, they don't track it. What they do is they use uh, formulas. formulas. They use Ugh. formulas so that the, you know, what, what is relative and what is real, it doesn't matter. It's what the formula right. uh, says. So, you know, again, it's just something that we had to deal with. So that's really was the impetus to get the taste room in St. James open um, as quickly as we could. Right. Yeah, and that, and that, that, that the facility in St. James is just a tap room. There's no, there's no brewing there. That's right. That's right. That's that's right. right. That's and that was you guys just goal. opened that up right as, like a week before, like yeah. early March, right? We had three days that yeah. we were open, oh, and boy. then uh, it seemed it seemed par for the course, though. So yeah, yeah, about right. You know, and we kept smiling through the whole thing because we were like, you know, we've gotten so far and we've done so much that. What else could possibly happen? Bring it on. In the <laughs> well, I mean, the great thing was it was considered essential during this. So you were able to do to go. Yeah. Did you do delivery orders? Did you take online delivery orders and stuff like that? We really, was it we really didn't do many online delivery orders. We have these windows that open up to the outside as like a walk up window. Yeah. So um, we went back to the old fashioned filling of growlers. Awesome. Yeah. Thousands and thousands Jesus. of growlers. Yeah. Yeah. And the um the support that we got from the community was unbelievable. Yeah, we definitely, we definitely would not have survived without the support of the town of St. James. Here. Yeah, so shout out to the town of St. James, Smithtown, St. James, anybody around this yeah. concert. No doubt. To, to their credit, we were sitting next to a, a table, a, a family. It was someone who had a, a young child. I think you spoke. That was the table you spoke to before you walked back in. And um, you, obviously, they, you know, singing your praises about the beer, doing a, a flight, a little tasting. And then uh, your name was pulled into the same conversation as Evil Twin and Trillium. Those are the Whoa. two other breweries that were put into the same conversation and what they were talking. I was like, wow, that's that you're in great company. Good company. Yeah. yeah. With, with, the, with those two breweries. Well, it, we appreciate it. And 
you know, we're just going to keep trying to do our best and, and do what it is that we do, you know, yeah. and, and we hope everybody likes it and comes to uh, check it out and, you know, makes their so own decisions. The deciding of the, the tasting room now, uh, what, what timetable went into that? Was it a, a year before opening? How, how did you yeah. seek that yeah. out, find that? And what, what was the timetable before you opened right before March or right during March? Well, it was, uh, it was when we had our issues with the wastewater with Suffolk County, they actually became probably our biggest ally in finding a new place. Huh. So when we would try and search different areas, we would look at, um, because of our inexperience, we would look at places that looked good to us for what we needed. But when we went to them, they would say, no, it's not going to work because of X, Y, and Z. Why don't you follow this path? Why don't you look for a place that's like this? Because it's going to have this, this, and this, which is what you're going to need to uh, to open for what you want to do. And so that's really where we started our search, right? Yeah, this the place that we have that right now is um, used to be a takeout Chinese restaurant. So we went in, we went in under the classification as a takeout restaurant, which huh. is. Because although we fall under ags and markets, we went through the Department of Health, although we didn't really need to. Um, so we really actually, now during the pandemic, we really wanted to serve food. I could I could serve food here. But wow. the bottom line on the North Shore is that if you need to go into a place that was serving food or um, you know some kind of alcohol beforehand, you can't really recreate a space to do any kind of that. Right, I got it, yeah. Because of zoning? Because of wastewater. Ah, well, if you think of it, Pete, it's the same reason why in Lindenhurst you can't open a new bar without another bar closing, right? Same concept. It's not about the alcohol. It's about the drinking. It's about replacing one with something very similar density, in regards right? to all the waste you're using. Yeah. Wastewater density or cesspool or, 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 uh, or uh, sewer densities. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, there'll be, a, there'll be a, a bunch of breweries that are on uh, sewer systems that'll talk about how they've got to um, meter out their wastewater slowly, a little bit at a time, you know. Really? Just like a slow release just to... So, so then they need a storage tank to hold it, and then they need to have a, a valve on there to tell you how much is coming in. That's crazy. That's right. All the, all the breweries out east are like that. That's right. Really? Yeah. All Riverhead, all that way, they all have to meter what they... And everything that they clean with gets captured. And then over time gets put back in with clean water. Now, I mean, in a production facility for like Greenport, who does massive distribution, how do they how do they do that? Because they have two sites and they can double up on it, or how does that work? No, but then I know they have they are pulling off sludge uh, and actually putting it in containers and having it shipped shipped okay away, right. uh, so they're not putting any um, like solid. And, and then after that, liquid-wise, they have – I know they have a very large tank over the one in uh, Peconic. And the same thing, trickle effect. They just trickle it in. That's got to Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, it's got to be something that for a smaller brewery, it's just out of the cards because of the cost, right? I mean, it's just silly to have something like that unless you're kind of matching that with sales. And when you're doing, like you said, 400 barrels as opposed to 4,000 barrels, it just doesn't work. Yeah, definitely. It's a trade-off, you know, and, and yeah. a lot of times economically, it's, it just it'll put you out of business for sure. So definitely something that we deal with on a regular basis. Um, I guess our two biggest issues really are uh, 
wastewater and uh, and uh, local local government agencies, you know, and state <laughs> government agencies, and and what they expect of us. Uh, that's really our our two biggest issues here. I think you're you're right in saying that one of the bigger proponents in my time uh, for breweries in a state has Cuomo's passed a lot of legislation, definitely starting out with helping with the. Um, you know, the farm brewery license and, and matching that. Do you guys have a farm brewery license and do you completely, cause I, you know, I know you say you source a lot of local ingredients closer to your farmers. So how is that working out for your supply chain and all that other stuff? As far as our licensing goes, we were one of the first farm breweries to, to get the farm brewery license. Oh. And, and at that time, um, even, even people within the, well, even people within the know, within the state, and and, and uh, various organizations would tell us to get uh, two licenses: get get a microbrewery license and get a farm brewery license, because you don't know what's going to happen, and you have the ability to to dual license right now. So we've been dual license since we started. However, I don't uh, believe I've ever brewed a batch of beer under my microbrewery license. Wow. Yeah. Well, the, the thing that I do have to say, when you did get the farm brewer's license. Back at that time, the the malt and hop um, availability from New York was very scarce. Um, sometimes the quality wasn't where it it is now, and uh, it took a few years. And now now it's it's becoming big business, and they're actually producing some really good products out there. Amazing. Um, yeah, I, I totally agree with with what you said. When I first started, I made uh, many many trips. So there wasn't a maltster or a farmer that I used that I didn't go visit their place of business to see how they did business to see what they were doing. So I saw the gamut of um, really guys that were doing as at the time as best they could high quality stuff to to people that were working literally in barns you know with very little cover very little um, uh, of anything mechanical it was really a, um, a sight to see you know they didn't last too long but uh, it was tough at first it yeah. was tough getting good grains absolutely and and hops I always had a good hop farmer so I I can't really say that that about the hops but it was difficult to get grains at first for sure um, I was fortunate enough that, like I said, I, I went and visited every uh, maltster, yeah. and I found one maltster back then that, that was that was doing things the way that I would do them, you know what I mean, it, it, on a small scale. Um, and we, we started working with him right away, and we pretty much used him exclusively uh, for, for many years. Um, do you want to give him a quick shout-out? Are they still well, around? I was at New York Craft Mall. Yeah, I was going to say, there's, there's only a few that I we follow as a show. Um, New York Craft Malt looks like they just got the top-notch facility at this point, and very popular, obviously. Yeah, it's a small facility, uh, and it, it, they're a lot like we are. You know, everything is, is real craft. It's real hands-on stuff. Um, and there, there's, there's another good facility, uh, 1886 Craft Malt. And there's the other one I was going to mention. <laughs> Yeah, so that they're they're a bit bigger, you know, and they do they do their thing. Teddy's got his specialties at at New York Craft Malt that they do, uh, you know. So so we do have some more variety. There's a bit more hop farmers, but I still use my my same hop farmer. I still use uh, John Kinsella, Kinsella Farms in Wading River. I was going to say, yeah. I remember when he brought the the Panzer Wolf over from Germany. He was the first guy on Long Island to actually have a harvester. 
What a great name for a hop, huh? I mean, oh, I uh, thought it was for a, a machine. No, it was a machine. No, not a tank. Got it. <laughs> not a tank. Definitely a. That makes a lot more sense. Tractor. Yeah, you didn't That's actually fantastic. be Panzer tank out out east and running over. It's <laughs> just just, <laughs> just mashing all the. It's a wet hop batch. Here it all is. Yeah. Would have been cool as all hell, but. It, it <laughs> Huh. Awesome to watch. Terrible to probably have any. That other. eliminates some questions. Thank you. So <laughs> that, no. No, Steve's. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, I, we just want oh, to introduce. I want to introduce oh, one, of, by the way, because one of the young ladies that works here. You can take your mask off because okay. she's oh, so our bartender. Awesome. This is Haley. <laughs> Barista. And if anybody comes to our tasting room, they'll meet Haley. And um, she's wonderful. And she's an aspiring hop grower. She's out nice. on, on the oh. North Fork. And so I just want to introduce her. Sauce. So uh, I'll, I'll tell you this. So my wife um, is getting a second tattoo. She has one right here on the forearm. And you pass by a few times just checking us, seeing how we're doing. And she goes, I, I still want a sleeve. I want a sleeve. And she, she liked your artwork a lot. And I said, I'll let her know, but I never did. And there you are. Now I'm like, no. Well, let me ask you, do you have a tattoo of a comet? No. Or the centennial bell. Haley, Haley's comet, right? I oh, I was, I was going with the hop. <laughs> I thought you were going to go with the hop, the common hop. Could have done it all. Well, I, wait, the reason family. that I introduced Haley is because really here at the brewery, in terms of like the culture, when you come to our tasting room, is to have really awesome, wonderful, kind people that are here to serve you. And, you know, even if people don't know a lot about beer, Belgian beer, we want people to feel comfortable and that they can ask questions sure. and, um, and it's really important to us. You know, a lot of people will come here and they just want an IPA and we don't, that's not really, you know, our lane all the time. So Haley is an awesome ambassador for our tasting room. So I just wanted to make sure everybody got to see her. Very nice, very cordial, answered all my questions and was uh, apologetic <laughs> that you had left that day. She's like, I'm so sorry she just left. I'm like, it's all right. Don't worry it was about the it. one day I took off. All I know. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. At least it was last minute. I finally got rid of my children. And my wife and I were able to make the run. So it was, like I said, last minute, I wasn't going to go crazy about it. So whatever I got, I got. And I got a delicious beer that I'm almost out of. I'm going to have to start drinking the second in a few minutes. Oh, I'm so glad. All right, well, I'm going to let Haley go home now. Bring Jamie back in. <laughs> okay. <Bye. laughs> Thank you, Haley. Thanks, Haley. That was a great dad joke, by the way. Which Thank one? Did you have a comment, Dad? <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> And see, I was going to go I with first, the hop, Comet Hops. I, like I thought you were going to go with that. Oh, whatever. It all, it all ties in. All right. uh, really quick while we got uh, a second, um, I'm going to show you up on my video here. Um, so this is one of my idols, Mr. Zane Lamprey. And yeah. uh, I 100% think, Jamie, that you look like Zane Lamprey. <laughs> a little bit. Oh, all right. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I usually get Zach Galifianakis. No, I didn't even even close. Yeah, thank you, thank you. But he's he's a. I mean, do you know you're a white guy with a beard? Is that is that why you look like Zach Galifianakis? (laughs) But look at this. Look how close this is. Portland, Oregon. (laughs) I was just trying to get a hero. Was like you know you know gyros is four in the morning and I'm at the corner and the guy comes up to me. He goes, "Hey, you're Zach Galifianakis." Because I, you know, I'm I'm kind of living my own world. I don't get to see too many movies. And he says, "Oh, you're Zach Galifianakis." I said, "No, I'm not." And he says, "Yeah, you are." Okay, no, I'm yeah. not. <laughs> no, no, you are. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just agree to disagree that I am. Okay. Thanks. 
So uh, Zane Lamprey, uh, one of my idols, because he uh, had a show called Three Sheets, which was a drinking yeah, show. Great show. Uh, like back you. on HDNet. Um, yep. And then he also has done many other shows and series yeah. since then. I, I, it does look like I me. Think so. Yeah. I mean, I, his beard yeah. is unkempt there, but he's done it where it looks just like yours and he slicked his hair back just like that. So the eyes, the, the, the cheekbones. A little widow's peak. Yeah, a little bit. It's, it's not, yeah. No, nah, you got a straight hairline. He has a little more of a widow's. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad, you know, because this yeah, hair's yeah. going to be gone soon. I, I, this is out of necessity. Um, <laughs> I got to get to a barber, but this whole COVID thing, I just. I don't don't risk it. Just get, get Rachel to cut your hair. It'll be fine. He's borrowing my ponytail holders. It's disturbing me. <laughs> <laughs> it's disturbing me too <laughs> i'm equally as disturbed we're all disturbed <laughs> oh man see now that i did that now i can't get my my camera back on <laughs> right, so now you're gonna have to look at zane that's it. the whole time we're done that's it. It. zane lamprey's the new co-host <laughs> get at, oh. it's the word with zane <laughs> i'm in i'm in oh no he is a, probably a much better host than i am considering he's hosted real shows yes on television i think you're doing a great job no. Yeah, Who's going to be Steve McKenna? That's what I want to know. Who's yeah. Gonna that could be you. I you just got to grow a bigger beard than that. Steve oh, McKenna's yeah. got a huge beard. Challenge he, he's been doing some... Uh, Zane's been doing a lot of promotion. He has a couple of uh, clothing lines now. And then he also does... Um, yeah, I, I think he's invested in marijuana out in, in California. So now he does like a, a weed show out there. It's crazy. He's just, he's all, he's just such an entrepreneur. But like a really great television host, he's just got that personality where he just knows what to say, unrehearsed, uh, very candid, and, and knows what he's talking about. So I, I appreciated him. And I thought you looked a lot like him, and I had to pull that up. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. that you, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's get into some of the beers, because uh, you had a really great uh, list, and I didn't have as much time as I'd like to, to go through that list, meaning drink my way through your list. So... Uh, you know, obviously, I, I took the, uh, the, the Blanche uh, home, and I had the double while I was there, but there's a lot more to your list right now. So let's go, let's go through that, and then I really want to talk about the, uh, the wit uh, because sure. it's delicious, and obviously, I'm drinking right through it. So what do we have on tap if we were to come in today? Well, well for, first and foremost, I, I think all of our beers, it's, it's almost a continuation of our story from earlier with, with in terms of the grains and the ingredients that we were getting we didn't have the ability to get everything that we wanted. We, we just, you know, we, we were using what local farmers had and we still mm. do. So a lot of our beers that we have really are developed from that. It's almost like a reverse um, engineering type process where we take what we can use and then we start making beers from there. Um, so that's how everything started. And what you're drinking, the Rochelle Blanche was the very first one. Um, we had gotten local wheat uh, from, a, from Ted Hawley upstate and his mm. barley. And we put it together with our uh, local hop farmer. And we actually had, uh, and we still do, have a couple of different local uh, coriander farmers. Uh, so the only thing that we really got for that that doesn't come from a local farmer is the uh, orange peel. What, okay. what, type of, uh, what type of hops are in the Blanche? Uh, the hops that we use in the Blanche is, I, I basically really only have a few different types of hops. And uh, the, the noble hops that John grows um, were yeah, a few years ago, Mount Hood was the oh, hop. Okay. Um, and I really liked that hop a lot, but he wasn't able to, to keep it planted, so he replaced it with pearl. Um, so that's what I use now. I use a lot of pearl 
and um, uh, any other of the noble hops that 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 he has growing. So, so the, when we talk about noble hops, and just for the people that don't know, what what's the difference between a like a regular standard Citra, or what is that separate from the noble hop range, or what what's the well, the classification of a noble? For me, I equate a noble hop the way that a farmer or somebody that grows a garden would equate to an heirloom tomato. It's okay. it's something that's older that they don't really cross breed the plant itself. Yep. So um, in general, most of them come from the the Eastern European countries, uh, Czechoslovakia, Germany. Hmm. Um, and the defining characteristic for me is that the hops are, uh, in terms of their their aroma and their taste, they're earthier. The, the, yep. the flavor is not as floral. It's more... Um, Grassy. Grassy, yeah. Uh, it's hard to say. Uh, earthier is a great term, and people go, "What does that mean?" I, well, you don't want to say it tastes like dirt because that's not that's not very descriptive, and it's not very pleasant no. to say. But it has that 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 from the earth feel, and that's the so point, the, right? The word that the word that people use is called terroir. It has the terroir. You can almost mm. taste the the where it comes from, as opposed, and again, as opposed to a. A more citrusy type of floral type of hop, where the the uh, the accent is on the aroma uh, of it being like a citrus, or you know they even put names for it like lemon drop and, and, yeah. and things like that, right? Uh, so the noble hops really they're 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 older, generally older varieties, and then you get the derivatives of noble hops like Mount Hood. Those are the hops that they actually do uh, cross pollinate, or they'll uh, they'll cross. Uh, uh, breed the hop with uh, something that's coming out of the USDA, which I, which I, you know, I believe Mount Hood is and, and a few others um, that they'll, they'll crossbreed it. And a lot of times they'll do that just so that the hop will uh, uh, adapt better to where it's being grown. Right. And that's, that kind of separates it out from your crossbreeds and, and the ones that are that's right. I mean, yeah, like yeah. every hop farmer, he's got to have a certain yield from every hop plant that he grows or, or else the space that he's using to grow the plants and the return that he's getting isn't going to make it viable for him to continue to grow the hop. Right. So oh, the hop cones, for example, they have to be a certain weight. They have to be a certain size uh, in, order, in order for them to, to, to stay. So a lot of the noble hops, what I'm getting at is a lot of the noble hops don't actually have that characteristic. Their, their hop cones are much smaller, um, filled with flavor, but much smaller. So you're, you're going to get a lower, as a hop farmer, you're going to get a lower yield from that uh, product. So uh, what does that do? Well, less hop farmers are going to actually grow that plant. Yep. So, you, so as me as a consumer, and I go out to try and buy that particular type of hop, you know, I'm, I, I've got less, of, less places to go to. Um, and so that's really been the hallmark and the calling card of our brewery from the get-go is trying to find um, ingredients that are quality, right? That was from day one, like we had talked about earlier. We need that quality, but then, okay, well, step two is variety. Uh, and so what, what we've done here at our brewery is we focused our beers, and getting back to the beer, we focused our beers, or at least I try to focus each particular beer on a particular ingredient. So what is it that we're trying to highlight? Like a, like a play almost. What's the star? Who's the star of the show? Who are the, you know, the, um, the additional actors? Who's the supporting cast? 
things like that, because we really had to do it that way because we didn't have the ability to get these crazy new hops and, you know, all, all the stuff that, that um, you can access by using the most commercially available. Uh, well, I, I do have to say, I am actually very, very glad uh, that you have not succumbed to the, I need to make a hazy IPA. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, and it's it's a challenge too. Or is it in the fermenter right now? <laughs> yeah, just say. Or is it come out in three days? <laughs> well, well, Steve, I, I see your point, Steve, and but I I don't mind the hazy IPA for what it is, but sometimes it gets a little confusing with what it represents, and, mm. and that and that's where I think where the, the distinction kind of comes in. Any any beer that's a good beer is a good beer, right? I mean, I think we could all exactly. agree on that. It's just chasing the the next thing. It's chasing, chasing, and and what we decided from the get go, from day one, was we're not going to chase anything. We're going to do it the way that we want to do it, the way that we want to drink it. And we're going to try and do it the best that we can and emphasize the quality of it. And, and hopefully that's what's going to uh, uh, keep people coming back, you know, keep people coming back. It's, it's, it's the, the beer drinkers that already know Belgians are going to appreciate them. And the beer drinkers that don't know Belgians are going to taste it and say, wow, yeah, you know, I, this is good. I could, I could get into this. I don't know exactly what's going on here, <laughs> but, you know, I can. What is I, this new flavor in my mouth? Mm. Yeah, like what's going on here? But, uh, you know, I could get into it. And, and I still have the same experience as myself. I mean, I, it's, right. what I, it's what I live for. It's what I drink for, really, when I go and, and have different beers. I, I really want to experiment. I want to push the limits. I want to taste what people are doing that's, that nobody else is doing. You know, I, I don't, I don't. I so I guess what you're saying, it wasn't like a conscious effort not to do it. It's just a, yes. a focus and a direction on what you do want to do. Yes. And it doesn't fall into that, that path. Absolutely. It just didn't fall into that. Like, and again, we brew every two weeks, you know, mm -hmm. so it's... it's Got to fit in uh, the schedule too, yeah. Right, it's a schedule. So what do we get? 25, 26, something like that. 27 brews in a year. So if you got 12 on tap, you know, you run through it twice and, and that's a year. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of how it goes. And, and also with the fact that, uh, you know, getting back to using local farmers and they're not going to have all those ingredients that you're going to use. Like we're not going to have uh, uh, wheat starches and things like that to add, you know, this and that. Um, everything has to be done right from the original grains or from the uh, fruits that we use. And, and I love that part of it. I love the fact that our Myrtle, which is a blueberry ale. Love Myrtle. You know, it's, Love it's, it. It's pink, you know, and the reason why it's pink is the same reason that a rosé wine is pink. It's because the skins of the blueberries and the skins of the, like the skins of the grapes, all those tannins, they come out in the fermenter and they impact the color of the, of the beer. You know, so I'm, I'm a very simple person. That's the purple label with the little berries on it, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I go by you have the orange double, the blue triple, the purple, <laughs> and now the the right. uh, yellow wit. Yeah, it, it, yeah, I do. I associate color to it. Yeah, don't say you're not you're you're not artistic because I know that the label design is is the logo's great, but just simple decisions to be made about color schemes make the world to basic beer drinkers at times like myself that just want to say that color represents that beer. I want that. That's right. That's right. I love it. I so appreciate all the wonderful art that's on the cans and the yeah. bottles, you know, lately. I, I just love it. 
but for us this is what we do you know this is what we want to people to understand like when you see well this is an apricot beer we want to see a big fat apricot right on the front of the table <laughs> you know and we want to uh, emphasize well these apricots come from this farm you should go there because not only do they sell apricots but they've got a whole farm stand or they've got pies that people come from miles around to you know to sit and wait in line to buy their pies and if you like this farmer then just go down the road because the one down the road is just as good as that one they might not be <laughs> as famous but you know the blueberries are, are awesome and all that so it's a way for us to say hey if you like this beer if you like our apple ale go to the orchards go to richter's in northport go there they've got peaches one week a year in you know, first week of august Mackinac. there's a window there's nothing yeah, else you can do. for the Mackinaws. it totally is you know it's 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 it's, it's just that it's uh, somewhat so challenging it. it's somewhat challenging at the tasting room though when you have a beer on like the blueberry beer when people can drink blueberry beers that are not made with real blueberries so it's a real different animal and they're expecting something different and they're not really sure exactly what they're getting so you really have to educate people and 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 that takes effort um feel free to call anybody out rachel yeah. <laughs> Not calling anybody <laughs> well, that's why you have Haley there, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's part of her job is to uh, yes. be that first contact for the education. Absolutely. And saying, when it okay. comes down to people are used to drinking artificial flavors. Yes. And true. When, when you do teach them like, well, this is the way a grape or a, a blueberry is supposed to, the flavor is supposed to be like in a beer. This is it. Yes. And people are like, really? Wait, no. I know. But yes, once they get it, though, and once they realize, wow, this is a whole lot better than that artificial, you know, grape flavor or, or blueberry flavor. Syrup. Yeah, pretty Just much. Syrup. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and it's a good thing. And uh, we, like to, we like to roll with the seasons with different beers. So we just came out with an apple ale. Yes, and I, I wanted to talk about that because uh, I yeah. saw it advertised and I was – Hoping to get a bottle of that, but I know, like you said, you're I in a. Believe, do you know I work seven days a week just to <laughs> plug myself? Well, I'm not. I'm not complaining about it. I'll, I'll find it and I'll, I'll come up and get it again. It's yeah, fine. Well, you got to come to Holbrook. I'm there. I know. I'm there all the time. They're all there. Yeah. Okay. Well, but yeah, that's that's the one I was advertised, and I was now. So I'm not a huge <laughs> Apple fan, but my wife would have loved that. She would have been all over that. I uh, see. This one is for you. Come. Back. Okay. All right. Thank you. I'll so be up there soon. This is this is the this is the Roxbury Russet Apple. Now, I didn't even know this until I started talking to the guys at the orchard. The Roxbury Russet Apple originally came over with like the Pilgrims, and they grew it in Massachusetts. It's the <laughs> oldest continually grown commercial apple in the United States. Wow! Um, and they grow it right over here at Richter's. So when we made this, we made this beer. So we now another thing that we really didn't talk about was our beers take a little bit of time to make. So this beer actually sat in the fermenters for quite a while on the apples uh, and the, and the, well, the apple, it's actually cider. So they, we, we can use apples, but they press the apples for us and uh, we get it from them right before they put it through the pasteurization process. Uh, so, you know, even having the Roxbury russet apple in here is, uh, is a great thing. What's the challenge? 
well, the next year, the Roxbury russet may have already been harvested, and now we're dealing with this type of apple. Uh, so what are the sugar levels in that apple? What are the, well, you know, what are the acidity levels? This and that, that, that you start to, uh, you know, um, try to, to make consistency uh, uh, a real priority. That's, that's probably one of our biggest concerns as well. But it's also what makes craft craft, because you can yeah, expect with that word, that you're not going to get that consistency, which means you, you're going to get, and, and not to be negative, but to say one batch to somebody would be great, but the next batch wouldn't. But that's what makes it craft. And that's what makes it unique. And the hand making of that particular uh, brew in that year uh, change things. Or, or like you said, the apples change completely. There's nothing you can do about it except go about your recipe and then an acceptance on some ends and not quite the expectation from people who had it the prior year. But again, that's what makes it unique. And I think that's what keeps people like your brewery uh, continually searching for that, you know, as balanced a beer as possible or cider or whatever it might be. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it, and me as a brewer, I'm always looking for inspiration and I'm always, I kind of go like my eyes wide open. And uh, when I was in Portland, Oregon, I was at Cascade, which is famous for their sour beers. Cascade mm -hmm. is called the House of Sour. And it was just so eye opening to sit down at a, at a bar stool there and to look up at their menu. And you would see some blueberries from 2012, blueberry 2013, blueberry 2014. And you'd have figs 2012. <laughs> you know, and, and almost it was like this layered effect where you could, uh, you could vertically try different beers. So I'm going to try the 2014 fig. Like wine. Like wine. wine. Like just wine. like wine. Yeah. Just you like don't realize just the weather, just whatever, whether it was a, a wet season, a dry season, overly hot, cool, will change the aspect. Huge fires in the northern part of your state. Yeah, yeah, yeah. all your crops are on fire. And now <laughs> everything tastes smoky and ashy. Uh, <laughs> Be great for a porter, but not so much for this fruit cider. <laughs> oh, sure. And, you know, and we've got a great honey guy in Mattituck, right? So are you going to use the early season honey or are you going to use ah. the late season honey? You know, it's, it's just it's just what like the bees eat. You know, what, what were they on? Wildflower, clover. Um, yeah. You know? Sure. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, you, you're making these uh, – the what what normal uh well i wouldn't say even say normal i would just say your average craft beer drinker your casual craft beer drinker would say holy crap like what what's going on here they would they wouldn't have a clue about that and that's the point like there's so many elements that are variable throughout the stages that you know let's say you, you have the 2012 blueberry to me that would be delicious. And the 2014, nah, it was too sweet. It's crazy to see how the palates change and how the years change other people's palates and bring them back in. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and to us, that's really the crux of it. You know, that's what we really want people to understand is that they're drinking local and that they're drinking um, the terroir year by year, year by year. You know, <laughs> it's always something that, that, is, uh, that is changing and evolving and developing. But New York, but, but, always New York. Yeah, but quintessentially, it's local, you know, and, and that's really it. What I'm really interested in, I saw it on the tap list when I was up there, is uh, you have a, a nitro porter. Am I right about that? So what we did here at our tasting room is I allowed, uh, we have 12 taps in total. But we, we broke them up into uh, 
uh, threes. So three of the taps uh, will dispense nitrogen. And what I wanted to do there was I really just wanted to accentuate uh, beers that, again, you know, it's like eyes wide open. You, know, you learn from here, you learn from there. What I wanted to do was accentuate the fact that you could take something, any, any beer really, or almost any beer, have it dispensed mostly on CO2, and then get the, the, um, the, the feeling or the sensory feelings of it being on nitro. That uh, was a place down in D.C. many, many years ago. And every beer that they had on CO2, they also dispensed on nitro. Huh. And, uh, yeah, it was just, again, just like the 2013, 2014, you know, thick beer or whatever. Mm. This was the same kind of concept where you're just like, all right, you can have this beer on CO2. But if you try it on nitro, you're going to get a totally different uh, taste and totally different. Uh, even beyond the taste, it's more about the mouthfeel, how it feels on tiny your bubbles. I call it tiny yeah, little bubbles. <laughs> even the density of it, where, where the nitrogen makes it feel almost a little bit heavier, the way that a Guinness almost feels heavier on your on your palate. Right. Uh, you know, so what's on nitro right now? Yeah. Brown. What's on nitro right now? The brown ale is on Brown. It wasn't the porter. It was a brown. There you go. So, yeah. So we have a brown ale, which we did. Um, the, uh, the boys know I have a big affirmation for browns. So that sure was do. that would have been my next beer if I had five more freaking minutes. My wife's like, we got to go. We got to go pick up our daughter. I'm like, damn it. Get the brown. <laughs> yeah. I'll get it up next time. And that, that's part of the English uh, beers that we started to make. Uh, so we were strictly Belgians for many, many years. And, um, and, and we're starting doing our English ales. Uh, primarily through the English yeast strain that we procured. So the brown ale uh, is one of them. The steam home is a blonde ale, which we've done as well. Um, and they all come from the same deep ascent uh, yeast strain that we use. Are we using standard grain for the brown, uh, what you typically find in a brown? The, the brown ale that I'm making is here. I like to keep it more of an old English style brown ale. So you're going to get a little bit less roasty flavors and it's going to be a little bit more fruity. Uh, English uh. strains tend to kind of accentuate the, the, the fruit a little bit, the cherry a little bit. Right. Um, so I, I kind of eased off on the, on the roasted grains and I went with dark grains, but something that uh, brings out a little bit more of the fruitiness. So our brown ale is uh, a little bit on the fruitier side. And I wanted to, to uh, contrast that against our porter. So the porter, which is uh, going to be coming out next week, is a little bit uh, more, uh, has a more roasty flavor to it, more of a traditional English-style porter. Um, not too dark, you know, but definitely darker than a brown ale, roastier than a brown ale. And now is that porter, um, yeah, that, I'm sorry, the stout, you said porter, right? So the porter uh, is coming out, and then the brown ale is, is what's on the uh, is on the nitro line right now. Was is the porter a recurring brew, or is that a new one? These are all new beers on the English side because uh, these are all coming from our deep ascent yeast, which is our yeast strain that we recovered from uh, a ship that came. All right, you started it. It's yeah. time to go get it. You got to give us. So. Everything about this. Well, wait, wait, let me finish this off because I'm going to crack that. I got to go get one. Yeah, we got to we got to go get our our ship here because this is going to take the last hour to talk yes. about. Because I am, I got you think I had questions before. Just wait till we start talking about yeah. a, a ship where you yes. get yeast strain from. Right, so we'll, we'll pour ourselves some too. Yes, yeah, absolutely. We're only going to need a, a little bit of that right now. 
Um, yeah, because we've been talking about this for a while that we wanted to have you on. And one of the main reasons was we knew about this yeast strain that you procured from a bottle that was underneath down in, in the ocean for a very long time. That's true. That's true. So I don't know if we can see it here. I, I the, the reflection of it, but this is the ship up here. It's a Cunard luxury liner. So Cunard, for those that aren't familiar with, with the shipping lines or the luxury shipping lines, uh, Cunard and uh, is, is probably the most, most famous uh, shipping line. Uh, so back in the Gilded Age, the late 1800s, and then into the into the 1900s, uh, if you wanted to get from Europe to America in style, you would take one of these luxury liners, like like the Titanic. No, nothing, no no different than the Titanic. And uh, every year there was an organization out of France that would award what was called the Blue Ribbond, and the Blue Ribbond was given to the fastest luxury liner of the year. So if you made the cross Atlantic trip and they'd have two different uh, ribbons, the blue ribbon, they'd give one that went from England to uh, New York and then another one that went, you know, obviously from New York back to, back to England. Uh, the Oregon, which was constructed in 1883 and uh, sank shortly thereafter in 1886, won the blue ribbon twice. How about Nikola Tesla before the uh, yeah, so it's a pretty famous ship. Um, it was uh, it was built at a time where uh, it was built at a time much like today, where we had a lot of new technologies that we really weren't sure about uh, if they were going to work or not. So they added things like uh, steam power. They added they added uh, a steam powered um, uh, engines, you know, and propeller to the ship, even though they didn't think it was going to really work. So what they do as well, they added four masts to the ship. And interestingly enough, the masts were never, ever unfurled wow. while the ship was sailing. You know, it's just the, the, the steam worked, but they weren't sure. Um, another thing that the ship had was it was built out of iron. And uh, that's really important because at the time, uh, Carnegie and the Steel Empire were becoming the go-to uh, material for shipbuilding. And the uh, construction people at Cunard felt that it would be better to use iron because iron was a more traditional method of shipbuilding. And the money that they saved on the uh, using iron instead of steel, they put that into a, a bunch of uh, unique wood that they got from what was at the time the territory of Oregon. So all of the wood that they used for the uh, for all the decks and all the adornments was uh was procured from oregon and it was sat so word by the way adornments yeah. go yeah. look it up everybody that's a that's a great word it was it was so yeah. it's, it's, so <laughs> it's what it is I just yeah so they named the ship the oregon after all this wood that they that they bought or you know that they that they put on the ship in lieu of having a steel hull on the ship and it's so significant because the ship actually sunk because it was hit by a much smaller 50-foot schooner. And it was hit at such an angle that the schooner, I mean, imagine a piece of iron, right? It's, it's kind of brittle. It cracks. And sure enough, the hull cracked and the, the ship sank. Whoops. Uh, after, yeah, after it was, it was hit. Where yeah. did it sink? Was it exactly. close? It's in the Northeast here? 
the the Oregon is about 21 miles off of uh, what we uh, what we have here is uh, Captree, Captree okay. State. So it's about it's about 21 miles south. Uh, okay. You know, it, it, so um, come how back. how how deep down did it is it in? Uh... The ship itself is um, is 130 feet down to the sand, and it's mostly broken down. So it doesn't really look like a ship anymore. It just looks like a pile of junk um, that, that's in a ship form, and the the big pieces are 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 still uh, visible. And what's interesting about that is there's one huge piece that's down there. It's the size of a school bus, you know, a, a large yellow school bus. It's huge. And we always use it that when we come up on, on the wreck itself, we'll throw the anchors over and we'll actually uh, throw some divers over into the water and we'll anchor up to this piece. We didn't know what it was. It, it was just a big piece. Well, it turns out that this was the dynamo of the ship. So if you're not familiar with what a dynamo is, it's basically like the battery charger or battery generator for a uh, direct current electrical system. So why is that significant? Because the Oregon was one of the first ships that was ever outfitted with electricity. They had they had electric lights on the ship. And who installed the lights? It was Thomas Edison. Wow. Yeah, he was a proponent of a direct current electrical system. Sure was. Very unsafe, yes, was. very dangerous. Um, so shocking elephants and whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in 1884 or 1885, I'm not sure which year it was. That ship sketchy was alternating current. It'll fucking yeah. kill you. Uh, 1884, 1885, the ship. Well, well. Let me take a step back. We didn't we didn't know what this piece was on the bottom until we got a call from a producer out in California. Hold on, time out. You can I just go back? You dove. You're the one that dove down there. I've dove on the ship many, many, many times. Wow. Okay. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but recently, I was mostly working in the brewery, so I took okay. I've taken a couple of years off of diving, and uh, while I was not diving. The area where the bottles were kind of opened up so that hmm. we had access to them finally. So we had to do a couple of things. We had to maneuver some things, but we finally got access to them. Uh, yeah. But the the getting back to, to uh, Edison, he was in a bind because the ship, this ship in 1885 was in New York Harbor, and the electrical system was, was broken. It was down and they were set to sail. And now they're a day behind, two days behind, three days behind. And they're calling up Tesla, you know, every day. Hey, you got to send an electrician out here. You got to send an engineer, yada, yada. He's got nobody. Uh, all of a sudden, a, a, young, a young scientist walks into his office from like Hungary or wherever. He didn't know the guy. But the guy had a letter in his hand from, from, from a colleague of Edison's in Europe saying you have to hire this person who's the most, you know, ingenious person we've ever met, blah, blah, blah. Is it, wait, is it Hertz? Well, I'll tell you. Edison <laughs> looks at him, doesn't even know his name. He says, can you fix a dynamo? The guy says, I can fix anything. So Edison, he, he, he dispatches him immediately to, to the, the New York Harbor, to the port. Uh, I was, you know, Pier whatever, 36, whatever. And uh, within a couple of days, this, this young scientist, he fixes the whole direct current system, no fanfare, and the ship's on its way. Uh, Edison writes a letter of commendation for him and uh, hires him, and that scientist's name was Nikolai Tesla. I think it was Tesla. That was Tesla's first interaction with Edison. 
And for anything, you know, anybody that knows. Was about- it the last positive one? Yes, it was. Court cases in the early 1900s really, <laughs> yeah. really stepped that relationship back a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but that, that, that whole uh, relationship spawned from the Oregon and from wow. the time in history. You know, when, when technology was just at the forefront of, it, of its day, and then you had the application of that technology in commercial use. Uh, you know, almost like the the guinea pig of of the uh, of the time, and it really was. Yeah. So uh, so we got a call from producers out in California saying, "What do you know about this uh, this piece here?" And we didn't know anything about it. Oh, <laughs> oh, that piece? Oh, the bus? You mean the bus? And they tell us that's that's dynamo. the dynamo. And uh, we we want to send out Henry Rollins. Um, he's doing a show. Ten things you don't know about. Blah blah blah. And it's 10 things you don't know about Edison and Tesla. Well, that was one of the things people didn't know about Edison and Tesla. So they were going to do it on the show. He doesn't know how to scuba dive. Yeah. Is anybody, you guys familiar with Henry Rollins? Henry Rollins? Do you know Henry Rollins? Yeah. Sure do. Yeah. So he comes out, they get him scuba dive, they get him certified, the whole crew. <laughs> I can imagine him. And they do the whole, they do the whole show, you know, with the, with the uh, cameras and everything on the dynamo. And this was, a, this was about maybe at this point, maybe eight, eight, nine years ago. And they do it off my buddy's boat who has a boat we, that was, we dive out of, huh. uh, Tom McCarthy, yeah, East Coast Wreck Diving. Um, and from there, the, the legend of the Oregon just started to grow even more and more. And uh, we always, people have recovered these bottles in the past. People have made beer from those bottles in the past but it's never been a commercial endeavor where we actually took this yeast we uh we cleaned the yeast to the best of our abilities so that it was uh you know viable for the for what we wanted to use it for um now wait wait clean the yeast so what what goes into cleaning the yeast? not gonna take each problem oh, down little tiny scrub yes so they all need about put a little steak sauce on it don't forget to use the loofah yeah, you really can't sanitize them in a way that you're going to kill them. So you gotta, there's got to be a method to this. Well, you you know you're not half wrong there. You, it, it's almost like survival of the fittest in a sense, where you're 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 um you're getting rid of the 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 ones that aren't as strong as the other ones, and then from there, once you get it down to, uh, usually usually in, in an application like this, we'll break it down to a single cell. So it'll be a single yeast cell that will we then repropagate up from, um, and that's what happened here. So we, we, we recover these bottles and these bottles are hundreds of years old and they're not, they're not packaged in the manner that they would be today. You know, they're, they're handmade and they've got a cork in them and they probably had a, a wrapper or something around them. Uh, so there is saltwater intrusion and a lot of things are going on. Now, do you know where they originally came from? Still no. Good Still question. no. That's a, that's a that's great a question. question. That is that is the thousand dollar question. That for us, that's a thousand dollar question. We'll explain why because well, look, the reason why is because back in the day that they were making these beers, they almost did things the same way that we do things now. They recycled the bottles. Yep. So a lot of the bottles they were they were so expensive. They were all made by hand. Yep. So the bottles would be were let's say the ship went down in 1886 so we can assume this beer came from about 1886 the bottles themselves come from anywhere from 1863 to like 1885 so we don't know our assumption was we'll find the bottles and then we'll find the bottle maker and then we'll find the person that was making the beer with that particular bottle maker 
and that and that's how we were gonna you know go back there's there's, there's no archives like manifests or anything that manifest still can't find it it's out there and we're gonna find the ship's manifest we just haven't found it yet we've been all over we've been to the national archives uh we've been over to england we've had people in i've actually had friends in england that have helped me with this to try and find um different views ships manifest in my opinion at this point would be the only way that we can tell yeah. what was on that ship yeah. because we don't just have a bottle we have bottles some are dark some are light some are blonde some are like stout oh, wow. looking. Wow. Uh, we've got we've got bottles so i uh, just to give uh, all the viewers at home a little insight so this is uh, a bottle that was recovered from lion brewery it was dug up in a basement in brooklyn or new york city somewhere in that area um, and so Lion Brewery, I have the little paper to authenticity paper. Um, this brewery, uh, started in about 1850. If I'm not, uh, wrong, then you can stop me. Anyone on Facebook fact checking me, you can go screw yourself. Uh, but it closed in about 1940s or something like that. But this one's dated in the late 1800s. So you can see very, very thick glass, extremely thick. Um, and like you said, Jamie, it more than likely had a cork in it. And then it was, uh, you know, basically handed down and reused for the next people. People would collect their beer bottles, bring them back to the brewery to get the next set. It was almost like the deposit, where the deposit came from. Mm -hmm. And depending on where you lived is, is the kind of beer that you would get. So Vassal was the world's largest brewery at the time. Yep. So we can probably assume a lot of this is Vassal. But if you lived in London... The bass ale that you got would be different than if you lived in another part of England. And the reason for that was because the brewery would make the beer and then they would ship it in mass to bottlers and, and packagers. And so on the labels, they'd make a big deal out of where it was packaged. That was a big part of it, you know, brewed by bass ale, packaged at, you know, XYZ packaging London, you know, versus in Southampton. So the beers were packaged by all of these different packagers. And they all these different packagers were using all of these recycled bottles. So to go back for us and find, uh, you know, we can make some assumptions. We can say, yeah, okay, Basel was the number one. Uh, Guinness was number two. Elseps um, was Elseps uh, was number three, uh, right? And I've got I've got a really light beer that looks like a real Elseps beer. I've got a bunch of um, uh, more. Uh, uh, brownish ales that I mean they're dead ringers for bass you know and and darker ones which are probably Guinness but but can we say with any um confirmation or, or, or definitiveness no and there's no way to send it to a lab to to or no. because it's been so old and like I said salt water intrusion that there'd be no way to compare it to some you know compare those really dark beers to Guinness today. You'd have to, it, it would be like finding a needle in a haystack because they'd have yeah. to compare that strain to every single strain that's out there, I guess. I mean, that, I, I, I've asked, this is the same question I've asked. And um, the, the, the gist of it is you're never going to find the answer genetically. over time anyway. Yeah, at least at this point with science the way it, the way it is, you're not going to find the answer genetically. Um, it'll be almost impossible. I, uh, the 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 term he used was finding a needle in a haystack. Here's the real question. Did you drink any of those beers straight from the bottle? Oh, yeah. We drink everything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we drink everything we get. we get. We get wine bottles. We get whiskey bottles, like different ships. There was a, we have a rum runner that's, that's right off the coast here that, yep. that was literally during Prohibition. It was running Jack Daniels and, and rum and all these other things. Up. So, yeah, every time, anytime that we get something, 
it always tastes the same. It always tastes like nasty salt water. Oh, <laughs> that was my that was my next question. Is that any, have you ever gotten anything that's been drinkable? It's not going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> so why not try it? It's not going to kill you, but it, it's it's kind of. I mean, it's almost a rite of passage. Yeah. And, it, it goes with anything like, you know, when we get on the back on the boat and we've got, it, there's been times where we get out and, and let's not even talk about beer. You know, you'll jump off the ship and you go down there and you just see, you look at the seafloor and it looks like there's dinner plates as far as you can see. And you're like, what the heck are these things? There's thousands of them. And you get close and you go, Oh, scallops. Yeah. Oh, okay. You know, so, all right. So there's scallops everywhere. So we'll pick the scallops and we'll harvest them and we'll bring them up. And everything that we bring back on board, we eat, you know, yeah. we eat right there or drink it, whatever it is. It's, it's, it's just because it comes, it's like right from the ocean. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a rite of passage. It's in, in many ways, it, depending on what it is, beer isn't so good, but the scallops are delicious. <laughs> bring <laughs> a little know? bacon on with, you're not going to find that on the seafloor and you get some oh, no, rat scallop from the, the grid. Cut it out and eat it. <laughs> the I, I would imagine there's just probably so much stuff that you've you've seen besides just the bottles. Uh, you're gonna get nails. You go down with a metal detector, and you can pretty much find any number of things that were built and created to to so fasteners and supports. Uh, was there anything that was crazy beyond the beer that you found that was like a real find? Like really, I found a revolver, or I found oh, a all the, time. Uh, all the time. Yeah, we we always find stuff, but it, it, again, it, it, sometimes it's your definition of what's important to me. I'm, I'm a big history buff, so things that are historical are important. Um, so we'll find we'll find just um, it could be anything. It could be buttons off of a uniform. You know, that's pretty cool. But, yeah, like Marines, or yeah. it could be, it could, yeah. We we've gone down. Uh, well, I don't know. Do I don't We've gone down and, you know, we've, 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 we've gone down with equipment, you know, utensils, jacks and things like that. And we've pulled portholes up, boom, 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 one after another. Huh. And uh, there's, there's different schools of thought on um, artifact recovery. Some people will say you shouldn't take anything because you're not leaving anything for the next person to see. But the reality of it is the ocean is a very uh, dangerous and destructive place. And over time, these ships are getting pummeled. Everything's going to get break, broken down. There's not right? anything left. And, and, and every year, as a matter of fact, they actually sink. They sink deeper into the sand. So not only is it the destructiveness of it, it's they're literally sinking into the sand. And you're not going to be able to see anything anyway. So do you recover it and do your best to uh, try and um, get that piece to a place where other people will see it? Honor it. Yeah. Uh, it turns out that's a very difficult thing to do. It's Nobody that- wants to take the responsibility and, yeah. the, and the liability of this awesome thing that you found. And if you accept government funding as a nonprofit, such as a maritime museum or something like that, and you're caught taking things that aren't given to you by a certified archaeologist, quote unquote, you could lose your funding. Right. So, that, so what happens is a lot of this stuff it just gets wound up in somebody's uh, basement. Uh, you know, it'll it'll look nice and it'll be all presented nicely, <laughs> but they're private collections. Right. You know, and and uh, it, my hope really is that if anything comes of this, that that there is a more of an opening to um, all the artifacts that have been recovered around Long Island, uh, the Andrea Doria, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the Oregon. There's just so much history here. 
that either is, um, and a lot of these divers that it, it's a timing issue. It's a timing and, uh, and technology issue. When certain technologies made these uh, ships accessible, these were the guys that were doing it. So these were the guys that were recovering this stuff. Now they're getting on in age, they're getting older, they're maybe passing on, right? What happens to all of that stuff that they had? Most of it gets boxed up by their kids because they don't even know what it is, you know, put in an in a, in a attic somewhere. So a lot of this has to do with, uh, for us, it's we're recreating history by making the beer, but we're also trying to raise awareness of the history of it and the nautical history of Long Island, you know, which I think is very important as a scuba diver and uh, just living here. As a teacher of audio production here on Long Island, I make sure that I educate the students that I have, 11th and 12th graders, in what rich history, uh, even like Nikola Tesla left his thumbprint on here. Um, Weidencliffe, uh, you have his array that he had in Saville that's now completely gone. The stuff that he was doing, the experiments he was doing here on Long Island before people called him a crazy person and he lost a lot of, and both of them, both him and Edison lost both of their patents through uh, the government. Um, the stuff that he did was groundbreaking, unbelievable stuff here on Long Island. Uh, the ship to shore kind of communication that was going on between him and Edison. Um, the, I mean, this, uh, I'll give you this quick bit of history. The first time the Long Island Railroad was used uh, as a military vehicle, as a military transport, was to go relieve German scientists out of Saville, out of the Saville Communications Department, because they thought they were spies for the German government, uh, when really it was just regular scientific experiment. All those people were brought in to conduct experiments through Nikola Tesla's, um, I guess, base camp or whatever that was there. Right. And so there's some crazy ties to both of those guys here. Um, you know, everyone's probably read or seen Goosebumps, where <laughs> my kids know about the history simply by watching that movie. Um, but, you know, his experiments with uh, aerial electricity, how he wanted to energize the world through shooting electricity through the air. Most people have seen Nikola Tesla with the, the big bolts of lightning. They've seen the movie The Prestige. You kind of have this idea of him, but he had it bigger and better. He, he shot for the stars. And it was something that changed the world because a lot of his experiments ended up boiling down to what we know as our wireless communication today. Uh, it, it started with the AM and FM and then built its way up into what we have for cell phone service and Bluetooth and Wi-Fi and all these frequencies that they kind of uh, uncovered. And again, I, I mentioned Hertz before because he's really well, one of the founders of where you know some of these research and writings began. It's who influenced Tesla. So to make the connection to the beer world, you know, we've all had beer that came before us and we've all had things. I guess we're always trying to carry on the legacy of what came before us and you going down and getting those bottles, grabbing that yeast strain and, and reshaping it into a beer today does the same thing for the beer industry that these guys have all done for our current technology. Okay, so what, I, what I'm really interested in, and I don't mean to cut you off, how did you, how, how are you still, because you're using it, um, and how did you decide how to use this yeast? What temperature to use it at? Um, you know, did you have an idea how it might flocculate? How it, attenuation might be? I mean, this is Hey, all, hey, no cursing over there. Hey, <laughs> don't you That's the F word. We don't use the F word around here. 
So uh, I mean, these are everything you had no clue. So no I mean, the experimentation part of this no really clue. was the like, okay, here we go. Here we go. God damn, it's go. good. It's really just good. keep an eye on it, you know. Keep an eye. I just just test it over and over. pH, you know, gravity, everything, you know, how it's how it's behaving. Um, but what I want to say was, imagine if Nikola Tesla was a beer drinker, right? Oh, right. Oh imagine my goodness. If Nikola Tesla was a beer drinker. Who knows? Who knows? He could have been having he could have been having that beer on the organ. There you go. Uh, after he had a hard day's work, he just he just hey, I just fixed the whole damn ship. I'll have he could have touched it. He one he of those it. Yeah. It could have been his mix six. Yeah. You never well, know. You know. <laughs> what what's my point? My point is the connection is there. You know, it's it is. there. So in terms of how we're gonna use the yeast, I had no idea. I had no idea. So but what what did I know? I knew that uh I could make a base malt, right? Just a pale ale, and uh make a base of wort, uh unfermented. Woo! I don't have the sound machine. You yeah, usually have a sound machine that, that does our can open. <laughs> In your case, I do. I do have the bottle open from before, so I'm gonna probably isolate that bottle open later. Oh, nice. we'll donate something. Yeah, there you go. We'll make a. We'll make a air horn. Yeah. Like yeah. They <laughs> cowbells. Cowbell. Yeah. Yeah. Cowbell. Cowbell. It's more hockey. Hockey. More cowbell. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's all we did. We just brewed with it, you know. And it's, the first time I brewed with it, you could smell it when it's fermenting. Like, this is English ale. Diacetyl's coming off and. You know, you just knew it was English ale. And then when it finished out, the gravity that it finishes out at, you know it's English ale. It was actually a bit high. I was really worried that um, I, I, that the um, we were talking earlier about cleaning the yeast. And there's a, there's a couple of terms of vitality, which is like how, you know, strong it is. And the viability, how much of it is, is there that's really going to work? Um, those are the two big things when you're talking about yeast. So I didn't have much vitality or viability when I really started working with this yeast here, it was, um, it was pretty tough to work with. So the first beers that we made um, were, were test batches. Right. And as we, yeah, well, yeast is a living organism. And the one thing that you can do is you can train it. You can train it and it, it, it strike that. You, it trains itself in terms of it wants to live in the environment with which you provide. So if it's living in your brewery, well, it's going to eventually adapt to the, the circumstances, you know, or the stresses that you put it under. And so what happened here was we um, worked with the yeast to get it to attenuate out, which meant it fermented a bit longer. The yeast would start to eat all those sugars and then all of a sudden it would, it would die out. Hmm. And so we would, and so it took a long time. It took a long time to work with the yeast to bring it up to a point where we wouldn't have to add an additional yeast to finish the fermentation. And we did a couple of beers like that, our Fleur de Lis beer, which was a really nice beer, but it was a combination of the, of the shipwreck beer with our traditional Belgian yeast to, to dry it out at the end. Um, so that was a challenge that we first started with, with that particular yeast strain. But as we worked with it, we made it more viable. Um, we were actually able to bring it back down to a level that was more consistent with where an English yeast strain. English yeast strains are, are known primarily as being, uh, they, they early flock. So what they do is they, they won't, they don't eat as much of the sugars. Uh, yep. We call it like a sugar kind of a, a ladder where you've got really simple sugars at the bottom, like your sucrose and your dextrose. And then you've got really complex sugars at top and the yeast, uh, its viability will determine how far up that ladder it can eat. 
you know, how, how complex can it, can it eat as a sugar? And English beers in general are not known as, as, as doing that very well. They, they eat a lot of the simple sugars, but they leave a lot of the complex sugars, which wind up adding what we call body, mouthfeel. Yep. And correct um, me if I'm wrong, but then that leaves behind like that yeasty, bready taste, correct? Yeah. So, and yeah. so in terms of the flavor profile, you've got a lot of fruit and you've got a lot of breadiness. Um, and that comes from the, the, the products that the yeast uh, make as it ferments, the uh, uh, byproducts of esters and phenols like diacetyl, um, which it produces a lot of. So my goal as a brewer is to uh, limit all of those phenolics so that the beer does not become cloying, where it means that the flavor, once you drink it, you want the flavor to be there, you want to taste it, you want to enjoy it, but then you want it to dissipate and kind of go away. And that'll make you be like, oh, I want another, I want another, you know, I want another sip. Um, as opposed to a, a beer that the residual sugars and the phenolics and the esters uh, aren't reabsorbed, what happens is, the, uh, the phenolics will actually stay in the beer and it'll leave a little bit of a slick flavor, a little bit, a little bit. And when you taste it, it'll stay on your tongue and it'll last and it'll be there, you know, for five or 10 minutes. So our goal was to really try to avoid that, which is the easy, easy thing to fall into with English beers. It's, it's hard to, you know, not avoid. So that, that was really the goal. Yeah, what was what's the process of of multiplying this, procuring it so you have enough to do these test batches and then have enough in the end that's trained to do your larger batches? Sure. How how um, does that work? I mean, that that just seems like you're putting it in and then you take it out and go, okay, you sit over there, you're pretty good. I are you how are you dissecting that? We basically keep uh, for lack of a better term, like a, a mother clone. Okay. And when we want to brew, we'll pull a little bit off of that and we'll propagate it up. So, so but by, I see you have the mother that, so this is what I'm, I'm trying to get to. So you have the mother clones. How do you make more of them? How does that yeast double and triple in size and batch? So you yep. have more to work with. Yep. Uh, the yeast double and triple in size through budding it's called. And it's okay. a process. Whereas the, the yeast itself will, um, will grow a, 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 an identical, yeast will actually bud off of that yeast. The problem there is once the yeast that uh, buds off of the initial, the original yeast creates a little bit of a scar there. So mm. over time, the, the original yeast is not going to be able to continually um, make new yeast. At some point, it's, it's not gonna become viable anymore. And so that's really the crux of what we're talking about here. We're trying to always have viable yeast that has, I mean, in a literal sense, room on its cell wall to allow budding of, of additional cells. And we want a lot of them too, because when we put our sugars into our fermenters, we really want that, uh, that propagation to ramp up. We want, you know, we want the uh, growth to be exponential. Okay, Jesus. so we need, yeah, we need two things. We need enough yeast, and we need the yeast to be really viable and vital vitality of the yeast it's really important so so how are you extracting that mother yeast out of those bottles found on the bottom of the ocean uh what we did was i worked with a friend of mine so back in the early 90s there was a diver uh great guy 
uh, still around. He works with he works with me on this. Um, he found the original bottles. Well, they weren't original. I'm sure people had them, but he was the first guy to come up with the idea. Was he's going to make a little bit of beer. So what he did was he uh, made a five gallon batch in a bucket in the back of the dive shop. You know, but his. Good beer. Whatever. Welcome to my dive shop, and I'm also uh, homebrewing <laughs> yeah, in the dive shop. Yeah, I think it was somebody else's dive shop. <laughs> <laughs> but the right next to the uh, the bright tank is the flippers. Go ahead, grab those. And we're, we're going to <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, he, uh, he had a background in microbiology. Ah, okay. That helps. So he was... He <laughs> actually, know. So he You're a scientist. Them. You yeah. got something there. And, and he had the original yeast strains so that when we procured ours, he was extremely helpful. He was vital in terms of um, us being able to, to access the yeast out of the bottles themselves. And basically, I mean, what it comes down to really, it's, it's, it, it wasn't anything more than um, us pulling the yeast out along with a bunch of other stuff that was in there. Um, and uh, plating it on petri dishes. I was going to say, it's under a microscope. You're basically separating yeast from anything else that was on the ocean floor. More or less. Piece by piece, cell by cell. More or less. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cell by cell. Until, oh, that's crazy. Oh, no, yeah. Until we got that eight. seems very tedious. I don't even like separating out my large and small paper clips. Yes. I, I'm serious. I'm not kidding. I oh, hate it. I look at my box and I go, how did these small paper clips get in this big paper clip box? Get it out of there. Yeah, and, and, I, and it was a total crapshoot. We didn't know if it was going to work or not work. So we're going through all of this effort without knowing, you know, what was going to come of it. That was the biggest, uh, you know, that was the well, biggest. Now, more importantly, so you guys are finally going to release this beer. Yes. Oh, boy. Yes. yes. Thanks, Steve. Yes, Thanks, Steve. Steve. So I want to hear more science, Steve. Yes. Well, I did too, but more importantly, <laughs> people need to know about this beer because – Absolutely. I mean, so we had this beer – drank a whole lot already in uh, – yeah, I'm I'm almost done with the bottle. I finished I'm it off. Very good. Yes, me too. Delicious. Yeah, thanks. It took it took a little while, but thank I appreciate that. You know, it's a real it's a real honor to be able to bring a little bit of history back so that people can enjoy it a little bit. You know, and it makes it a lot easier if it's if it's nice to drink rather than tasting like medicine. Yeah, <laughs> which yes. it does not. It actually has a really great backbone. It's it's very delicious. It's also not. Uh, it's not like one of those typical pails where it's just light and crisp and like, ah, great. That's fine. This has some real, you know, like balls on it. I, I do like uh, it a lot. As we spoke of earlier, bready, earthy. Mm. It, it has all those, those, you know, certain aspects to it and the mouthfeel. Yeah. It's on point. really nice. Really it's nice. A good fucking and the story behind it is one thing. And then to have a, a really, Really good tasting beer to follow up with it. Yeah, you can have a you can have a story, but if the beer's no good, you're like, that's ah, great story. All right, I'm moving on. This is worth. That was our that was our concern. That was definitely worth the story to to match it up with it. So, uh, tell us a little bit about just the process of this because I uh, obviously we got into a lot of detail about the yeast. So tell us what else is going into this. Uh, is there more New York State ingredients involved here? Everything we do is uh, yeah, New York State. Uh, ingredients. So, uh, particularly in this deep ascent here, it's, uh, I was shooting for traditional, historically accurate English ale. So, back in the 1800s. Yes. That's it. That's it. So, if you notice, if you'll notice on the label, mm. the, there's a there's a flag at the top of the mast. 
Yes, with the, uh, the North Star. So that's that's the that's a nautical flag for England. That's an English nautical flag. Mm. And in this in this painting, which was done by a famous artist back during the you know at that time, the flag is upside down, and that was that was they were signaling distress. Distress, distress. Right. distress. Yep, they were signaling for distress. I'll so, be saving that empty bottle. Yeah. And you know what? I liked it so much that if, when, it, when, not if, when I go up and get the second bottle, I'll be <laughs> drinking that too. Well, I'll tell you what, if we do this again and we, uh, and we'll come up with, with new conversations and new subjects, what I'll do is I'll package the deep ascent in the original English bottles. And yeah. We'll you still have that. That was a question I had before and it I didn't was. ask it. You still have oh, all yes, the original ones. My gosh, we probably got about another. Uh, we got probably another dozen bottles to go wow. through. Um, absolutely, They're unopened, there. unopened, unopened. Wow, unopened. Wow. You never know what. And are those uh, cork and cage as well, or what? No cages, just, just cork. corks. Yeah, they're they're. Th- it's a thin opening, and it's it's almost it's thinner than a wine cork. Hmm. Wow, huh. like a pinner almost. It's kind of openings. Like, yeah, and yeah. Uh, again, no markings because they had a wrapper. And the, the corks themselves are not... How would you, like, a, would you use a corkscrew to, to open them? Is that how do you... Using suction or, or they, heat? I would yeah, assume. we, we w- what we did was um, we pulled them out, yeah, using a little bit of suction. You yeah. Can't be, hmm. But, I mean, a corkscrew, could you do it? Yeah, maybe. I mean, you got to imagine it's, it's, it's very brittle. The no. cork is brittle. The glass, you know, the glass is, is very strong, but the, the cork is very brittle. So um, even if you don't keep it properly, uh, example, you should keep wax in the corks. You know, right. you, put, you put the wax in the corks and then you don't have an issue because the corks are really very fragile and they'll dry out. You know, they're very fragile. They'll dry out. They'll start to break apart. And you'll be you. You could actually smell the uh, salt water, especially after uh, a century of being underwater and yeah, being right? wet the whole time. Immediately, salt water will dry out. Oh, absolutely. You know, and um, it's anything that you get from that you recover as an artifact. You really want to take care of right away because uh, it, it, the environment that it's been in is just such a bad environment that you want to you know make sure that if there's anything you want to keep. Make sure that you take care of it right away, or else it's, it's uh, once it gets to the surface, forget about it. It'll fall apart. So you're coming out with this beer uh, on Monday, Sunday, 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 Sunday. 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 So why Sunday? Well, Sunday it's close to World Maritime Day. Ah, it's exactly World Maritime Day because that doesn't fall on a good day when people are off of work. Right. <laughs> Smart oh, move. World Maritime Day? There's got to be a little marketing involved here. We can't just willy-nilly. <laughs> so if you want to see these bottles, these bottles will be on display at the bottle release of Deep Ascent Pale Ale, which will be happening at our tasting room on Sunday. This coming which is World Maritime Day for, for now. <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, Day. nudge. For us. Almost. It's fine. Yeah. It's almost <laughs> World Maritime Day. Now, the key is is I'm probably guessing there's not a whole lot of these bottles to be had. So if you really want them, you better come and get them. Because we're already reserving our bottles. So right away, y'all ain't, get, y'all ain't getting these bottles until we get some bottles. That's true. This is the original, and, and you know, we're going to come out with a, a, a bunch of other beers 
along the deep ascent line. So right. what have you got planned so far? Like different adjuncts or different uh, styles? So one, one of the variants, little, uh, I, I made a, I, I, are the divers that we that we worked with and the divers that helped us and the divers that when when I told my my friends you know guys that I dive with my vision of of what I wanted to do if we had found these bottles that were stolen because we had been diving for years and all we would ever find are broken bottles because it, you know, oh. like, everything was always broken you'd find a piece of this a piece of that um and, and uh, you know, I let it be known when we find these bottles, uh, we're gonna we're gonna make a beer out of it. We're gonna make a commercial beer out of it. So, all of the all of my dive friends they helped me, and um, and because of that, every beer that comes out in this line is either gonna be a tribute to them or it's gonna be uh, something that they help collaborate with in terms of the beer and the name themselves. So. Um, uh captain pat rooney who was one of the divers he wanted to do a nice porter so our next beer coming out it's going to be captain pat's porter which is just a nice english style porter with our with our deep descent yeast strain um you know again like we were talking about earlier not as roasty as a lot of american porters but uh darker and uh and uh you know nice and and dark fruity flavors the way that an English porter would have been back then. Uh, we have our Blondale Steam Home, which is a la Captain Tom McCarthy. So, so Tom McCarthy, uh, he has a dive boat out of Freeport, but he was also part of the St. James Brewery family for a little while. He used to work with us uh, early on um, when we first started. And uh, Tom was a big, or still is, he's a big inspiration for, for what we do. And Tom was the very first diver that, uh, that, that, that he was the reason why I found out that that area was accessible to the ship and those bottles were accessible and that we we're going to be able to get them. Um, so all the divers that we use, we work with them and uh, the beers that we're making are going to be a tribute to them and That's we're cool. going yeah. to work with them. So I like that. I like that. That's a really cool, cool type of thing to do. And I was going to ask about where you're going to do any variants and obviously you are. And, I mean, with that yeast, you pretty much could do what you want right now because it's new. It's, you know, it's nobody else is using it. And you could figure out, again, doing an ale, a porter, a stout. I mean, that's great. It seems to like it would fit a lot of the styles with what it's giving off in addition to, you know, the style that it's with. Yeah, that's interesting, you know, I, and I think that's a testament to how things change, especially the yeast over time, you know, what was, what, what they considered to be the yeast strain back in the 1800s is, is definitely different than what it is today, no doubt about it. So, it, you know, and again, just nice to bring a little bit of history back because it's something, like you said, it's something new and it's something different and nobody else is doing it. And that makes us happy for on many fronts that we're able to bring something you know something that's local something that's important to us as as long islanders uh you know and it's oh you brought back history yeah you know there's a lot of long island history that people tend to forget and tend to to neglect and don't realize how important this area was to the entire makeup of the country in in a sense of the uh like we were talking about before edison and, and and tesla 
and of course just the uh, the New York port or New Amsterdam uh, back in the day, and and how much uh, foreign uh, shipping came through, and how much that contributed to the growth of America. It's it's, it's an amazing tale. I'm also a history buff. I love Gettysburg. I love uh, the early Civil War stuff. Um, would love to be able to dive one day. I mean, that's I, I'm a I was a swimmer in high school and no, college. Don't get him started. <laughs> oh, I can't don't swim. No, no, I, you I can't swim. Like, you could sink though. That's I don't fine. swim. Yeah, no, no. I, I <laughs> you know, when I first went for my, my scuba diving test, I barely passed the uh, swimming part of it. I, really? I, I can't swim. No, yeah, I'm a terrible <laughs> swimmer. I love snorkeling. Like that's one of my favorite things. And I bought a full no. snorkel mask to like when I whenever we go to these Caribbean islands, I go way past where I'm supposed to go. I'm like, I'm looking for stuff. Like, give me stuff. I want. I'm very good in. I, I love the exploration and yeah, that's exactly like you said, right. it's just trying to get educated and, and find new things. It's I have a passion for learning and education. That's so cool. that's great. Well, you gotta be an explorer. You know, you have to be an explorer. You always have to find new things and kind of live your life with your eyes wide open. That's that's really been kind of how I I go about it. You know, because. Uh, just so much stuff out there. So much interesting stuff. You, you never know. Hey. You, never, you never know where this crazy oh. life will take you. Absolutely. You know. What'd you say, Steve? I said like steak sauce. Steak sauce. Drink. <laughs> you, you only said it twice. No one's gonna get drunk off your two I steak said sauce. Nine times tonight. Day. Steak sauce. It's like Pee Wee Herman. <sighs> huh? Oh, the word. Yeah, Jamie, Rachel, what besides the uh, upcoming uh, beer release of Deep Ascent? And by the way, oh. if you don't go out there and get it. Yeah. You're out of your mind because it is. Sorry, it's delicious. My wife just texted me and I'm yelling down here. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I know I have a hard time hearing myself. I'm still recovering from an ear infection. Um, but give us a, a little bit of information about what's coming out in the upcoming months beyond these releases. What's in store for the future of the brewery? Well, uh, in terms of the beers themselves, what's coming out next is uh, it's going to be seasonal stuff. So I've worked with constantly constantly looking for new things we've got a maple farmer from upstate new york basically they they maple right make maple syrup maple this maple that you name it maple they make it uh we're gonna make a maple ale with him i'm there for that maple syrup i mean because i you know just one of those things where maple sugar uh so that one i've already i've already you know i'm on board with that that's our next brew Matter of fact, in the fermenters right now, I've got the myrtle, and mm. I'm also going to do another little thing that I'm that I've really been interested in. Uh, years ago, McKellar put out these single hop beers, and to me, that was a real eye opener for me, you know. And and I want to kind of do the same thing with local hops from local farmers. So that's another beer that I've got in the tanks right now is a, is a single hop cascade. We're going to call it our single. We've got our double, we've got our triple, you know, we've got our quad, cool. but we've really never brewed uh, a single before. Are and people going to see that as an IPA or are they going to see it as more as a pale? I'm going to dedicate that line to a, a, a Belgian style pale ale. Like that yes. uh, focuses yes. on a, a single hop, you know, right now. So in the, in the fermenters right now, we have our cascade hops, which are prolific on Long Island. They grow like crazy. So we wanted to showcase very first thing cascade. It's a very uh, approachable hop that I think people will enjoy. And if that goes well, you know, we want to then start to introduce the other hops, like a single hop of Pearl or a single hop of our Mount Hood, which aren't quite as, 
uh, well-known or quite as... Um, Not those sexy hops that you see in those, in yeah. those hazy IPAs. <laughs> right, right, right. But no, I will no, say this, yeah, one of the... He's using all galaxy hops in, the, in that single. Yeah, right, right, yeah. No, well, hey, if John Kinzel is growing them, I'll, I'll be using galaxy hops. But <laughs> he's actually growing CTZ, which is the Columbus Tomahawk Zeus hop. Yeah, yep. really nice. Like I'm, I'm really excited. That's to do really it. that's gonna be a cool yeah. one. I I noticed. Uh, so what I when I homebrewed for about a year or two, uh, the ones that I could get were Centennial, uh, Mount Hood, and Cascade. Those were the the easy ones to find at the homebrew store. So uh, a big shout out to uh, Kedco in Farmingdale for uh, providing those to the average homebrewer in the early 2000s. But yeah, it was those are like. I mean, you say the noble hops to me, that was the, the hierarchy before all these other sexy hops came out that I got very used to that I that liked and, and, and sought after in my beer. So I'm glad that you're highlighting some of those local ones because I'm sure it kind of even, like I said, shows the, um, the, the, the path in which you're going and, and not trying to just fall into everyone else's, you know, uh, train or, or, caboose or whatever you want to call it at this point yeah no absolutely and and i'll and i'll, and I'll echo your statement to to our hop farmer please don't fall on my caboose oh. <laughs> i had to use caboose that, that was my word tonight so now you have to drink steak sauce is steve's caboose fine. Is drink. i guess and i i can't I, I i can't leave out our beer de noel it's our christmas beer or our holiday beer we yeah. do it every year uh, we skipped last year unfortunately but we do our our beer de noel which is basically our belgian style quad um oh yeah so i know steve's had the quad um that that's one of my favorite beers as well we only do it during the holiday season so those are the those are the two big ones and uh, you know that or the the single that we've got coming out with the cascades We've got the maple beer, which I'm very excited about, and then the beer de Noel to to round out the uh, the end of the year. You know, and on tap now, we're getting into fall. We've got our apple ale, which is always important. We talked about that, um, and we'll always have our double. We'll always have our triple on tap. We'll always have our Rochelle Blanche, our, our Belgian style whip beer, the original, on tap. Uh, yeah, we'll always have all that stuff. We actually have some Mertil, the blueberry ale, in, in the tanks as well. Oh. Um, yeah, it's, it's really nice, uh, really nice. Um, well, listen, you guys, I mean, this is, I, we could talk for another hour about history because I could do that all night. And I, I'm more than likely the, the audience uh, will, will like it to a point, but when we start going too deep, some of the, the non-history buffs will, will start to fade out. But I really do appreciate you guys coming on. Um, we will continue a conversation at a later date to give some time in between to think about what else we can possibly get into? Because there's so much uh, science that you're, you're working with over there and, and the, the knowledge that you have is unbelievable. So thank you very much for imparting that, that on us. It's a labor of love, you know? I, could, I could, <laughs> couldn't sing and I couldn't dance. This is the best I can do. Well, <laughs> I've been wanting to have you guys on for, for quite a while. We've been talking about it and talking about it and it just didn't work out and the time slots. And then finally, like, we have to, we have to do it. We have to have you guys on your local staple um, that – and I was, I was saying earlier to, to Rachel, we want – you know, this is a hard time right now for all the breweries on, on Long Island, New York State, and we want the good breweries to stick around. You know, the ones that are not that great, well, sorry, you gave it a good shot, but the ones that, that 
or producing a product that, and I said to her earlier also, people don't realize what they have until it's gone. And then when it's gone, they really, really are upset. Well, Good point. you don't want that to happen. Yeah. You, want, you want to have what you're producing around for, for quite a while. Um, so we could all reap the benefits of the goodness. Well, Steve, we honestly, we, we wouldn't be here if it were not for people, brewers like you that really kind of uh, showed us the way in our early days. And there yeah. were many a days that really, in all honesty, that we, we came to you and said, Steve, what do we do? Or what is, what's, you know, you really, um, you paved the way for a lot of us. And um, we really are, are grateful for um you and all, I mean, all the excellent beer that uh, you've yeah. produced. I mean, I was drinking, I was drinking a salt and fudgery uh, last, uh, two nights ago, you know. <laughs> On the low, I, you know, I'm Spidger a... was like, uh, I don't remember what it was, and I think Jamie was too too drunk to remember, but... <laughs> <laughs> On the low, I am a Barrage okay, super fan. Over, over at... Uh, super you're, you're, fans, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. We're super Get fans up. also. We, I, I've kept uh, one of every release that I could possibly get my hands on in my fridge. That's amazing. I, I told Steve, one day I'm going to have you sign it, and then we're going to give it away. <laughs> Not for drinking, but just to like, you know, reward somebody along the way for, for something that they did for the show. But he's, uh, he's, he's done so much. I, we call him the godfather of Long Island beer. I mean, that's, yeah, well, that's what we say out here, in, especially in Suffolk County. And, and I'm like I'm an old bastard, though, now. Yeah, old bastard. Yeah. Oh, yeah, obviously. <laughs> uh, really really quick just to, to show the chops and, and not to say that this was a uh steve barrage original but we did brew two beers as a show uh about three weeks ago for everyone that's still out there listening uh those beers are going to be released in uh, approximately about two to three weeks and we're going to have a uh, special release party where we're going to have some of our friends jamie rachel uh i think we can extend the invite to you guys if you're available that night, we'll have you come down to our local <laughs> bottle shop. Yeah. Uh, if you're aware of Hopscotch Bottle Shop in yes. New Park. Love them. Mark's a great guy. Um, and, and maybe we can maybe you can make a delivery mm, of some uh, <laughs> some recent brews and he'll take it onto his inventory because I'll tell you, we he'll sell a bunch of that, I promise you. He, he, he's very he has good. excellent taste. Love yes, he does. Hopscotch. Yeah, we can do that. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll give you the information there. And uh, again, thank you so much for being on the thank show. You so and much. Thank you so Thanks much for, for the yeah, very unique on the show. pre-release. Of, local. Yes. A hundred percent. And as much as we love to go out and talk to people over, you know, uh, the country and all over the world about beer. I mean, there's nothing better than finding a really great local brewery. And like Steve said, we've been itching to have you guys on for a very long time now. So thanks again. We feel honored. Thanks for coming home. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is the word. Coming back around. We're coming back home now. Yeah, we will. This is the world of Mike, Pete, and Steve, GovsRadio.com. Uh, we'll give it up to Steve for his last words. Go ahead. Don't touch yourself when people are watching. <laughs> <laughs> words to live by. Pete, what do you got? Forget to have your pet spayed or neutered. Yeah. <laughs> or also, don't let your pet touch themselves while, <laughs> while, while anyone's looking. Well, thanks again for everyone for watching. This is The Word with Mike, Pete, and Steve, GovsRadio.com. We out. Well, that's two hours of your life that you'll never get back. Are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah. Please hang up and try again. This has been The Word on 
on Gov's Radio. I hope you're drunk enough.